Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. I bring you greetings from Pastor Matt. And yes, that means he broke protocol yesterday and called me. And I told him I would give you greetings from him. He's looking forward to being back, but he's also thankful for the time away. And he wanted me again to reiterate the thankfulness from his heart for us allowing him to do this. He'll be back with us on August the 14th. So if you can wait a couple more weeks, he will tell us all about the sabbatical on the evening of the 14th when he returns. Looking forward to spending some time with you in the Word regarding a topic that is very familiar on our tongues. We say it often, but it's one of those things that might be not quite as easily understood once we try and uh, define it. In fact, have you ever used that phrase, it's easier than it looks? You ever said that? It looks complicated, but it's easier than it looks. Or how about the reverse? It's more complicated than it looks. Kind of like golf, for example. Have you ever experienced that with some words? Some words that have the appearance of simplicity, but then when you try and use them, it's a lot more complicated. Like the word whom. Four letters of simplicity until you try and use it subjectively. Some of you will get that in a second. Or how about the word literally, which literally no one ever gets right, Dr. Williams. And I just used it incorrectly. Or how about those complicated words that actually are really simple and make you wonder, why is there even that word? Why don't they just say this word? Are you feeling ectomorphic this morning? If you are, you're skinny. Ectomorphic. Or are you feeling vociferous this morning? What does vociferous mean? It means supper time at the Stephens' house. <laughs> Loud! That's what vociferous means. Complicated words with simple meanings. Or how about this word, disciple? A word that is familiar to our tongues, but maybe not so easy to define. Or what does it look like? Or is disciple and discipleship the same thing? Is it a noun? Is it a verb? We want to explore this topic of discipleship this morning in our Church Matters series. And we're going to ask six, yea, seven questions about discipleship. Seven questions about discipleship this morning. And before we begin, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, we rejoice this morning that we have heard the words of Christ, follow me. And Lord, I rejoice for those who in faith have responded to the call and have become disciples of Christ. I pray, Lord, this morning as we have already sung, but that we would continue to learn what it means to be your disciple. We, we sang the convicting words, must we be carried on, to the sky on flowery beds of ease? Is it easy to be a disciple? Or must we carry our cross just as our Lord did as our example? Lord, I pray that you would not just make us excited about discipleship and being discipled and being able to learn more, but Lord, may we find our identity as disciples our greatest joy. And may we count the cost and be willing to give all to follow you. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning who is 
playing the game of discipleship, getting out of you what they want, but if the cost were this great, they'd walk away. Lord, I pray that they would have true faith this morning, submit themselves to your plan of salvation through Christ alone. In whose name we pray, amen. Question number one, you have all of your questions there on your outline. I didn't give you any blanks to fill in, and there's plenty of space, maybe, for you to take some notes. Just a word of warning, we're not centered on one particular text this morning. We'll be looking at a multitude of texts, multiple texts, and I may not always wait for you to get there. I apologize in advance. But stretch your fingers out, get ready to go. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning to explore the answers to these questions. What is discipleship? Question number one, what is discipleship? Or what is a disciple? Is it a noun? Is it a verb? So-and-so is discipling me, or I am a disciple of someone else. The, the common usage of the word disciple in the New Testament is a noun. Jesus had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. And the word, quite literally, nobody caught that. The word essentially means a learner, a student, it has academic undertones, a follower, but there's more than just one who hears and learns at stake here. It is one who learns and who hears and follows for the sake of mimicry, following the example and living like their teacher. Jesus said the ultimate end of discipleship is that they look like their teachers. That is what a disciple is, one who does not just learn but becomes like their teacher, much like a tradesman, the master the teacher will call on an apprentice to learn from him. The end goal is to mimic the master. A very familiar passage where Jesus uses this, this idea is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Words that I'm sure you know well. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus tells the crowd, after rebuking them, and after telling them the Father has blinded eyes and the Father will open eyes, he gives them a call to discipleship. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Synonymous terms there. For I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, which from as early as the 4th century BC was a term that rabbis or disciple makers or masters would use of what they were calling their disciples to do. Take on my yoke of training, my burden of training. And Jesus says, my yoke is gentle and easy. It is light. But Jesus from the beginning of his call tells his potential discipleship, disciples, to follow me is to take my yoke upon you. Discipleship can never be separated from the fact that there is a master and a Lord to whom you owe your allegiance. It is never to be mental. It is always to be lived out. Let me give you a second half of this first question answer. What about discipleship? What about discipling or disciple-making? We all know Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. 
You can turn there if you like. Many of you probably assumed this is where I would land this morning at some point. The Great Commission passage where we have a verb form of the noun used. Jesus says, after saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, while going, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. King Jesus tells us, that to make disciples is to go and teach others to observe everything that King Jesus commanded and taught. The end goal of discipleship is to look like whom? Me? You? King Jesus. Disciples look like King Jesus. If you are here this morning and you identify yourself as a Christian, Your primary calling in life is to be a disciple-making disciple. To be a disciple is not to be an elite Christian. It's not just a program. Discipleship is not a program. It's not just for beginners. It's not just for potential leaders. It's not a next step of Christianity. It's not optional. Discipleship is Christianity. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. But we see the opposite of that, in fact, in the the Scriptures. In John 6, Jesus does marvelous works, and many people, it says, believe on him and become his disciples. And then he goes on to explain to them the true cost of being a disciple and what it means to, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. And the people say, what is he talking about? Is this really what it's about? I just wanted free food. I just wanted freedom from the oppression of Rome. And in verse 66, we see the words, at that time, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And you probably can remember one of those who identified it as a a disciple of Jesus, but ultimately in the end proved not to be a true believer. Who am I talking about? Judas. True disciples, true Christians find their rest, their justification, their salvation, their redemption in coming to Christ as their Lord and Master. What about you? Have you come to Jesus and put on his yoke of rest for your salvation? Have you become a disciple or are you just playing this church game trying to get out of this whatever you want? but if the cost is too high, you're walking. What is a disciple? One who in faith has submitted to King Jesus and is teaching others to do the same. I think that is a clear picture in the Gospels of what it means to be a disciple. Question two, why should we seek to make disciples? Why should we seek to make disciples? Now you know the answer, don't you? We just read Matthew 28. What is the answer? because King Jesus told us to. So should we move on to question three? I'd like to explore this a little bit more. The Lord is our master. He says all authority is given to me and the authority of King Jesus behooves us to go. We should make disciples because he commands us to. But I want to explore this a little bit more. As you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, as you see the revelation of God progressively given 
You notice that, in general, there are three different ways that people respond to God revealing himself. One would be, I don't care. I'm not a believer. It doesn't mean anything. I don't believe it. Second would be, okay, maybe it's true, but it doesn't really impact my life. And the third is the person you can always see, right? This is the greatest thing ever. I've got to tell you about what I've learned. Why should you make disciples? Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John. We read verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 2 this morning already. But listen to 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. The account of John the Baptist, what, or the Apostle John, what was, the, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, the Apostle John says, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John is writing all of this in response to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There was a first appearing of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the Apostle John says, I've got to tell everybody. And it's not because I have to, it's because it's my joy to do so. Does that describe your discipleship this morning? My joy to do so. Another passage we could look at, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Familiar verses, but Paul tells us about the grace of God has appeared. That's the incarnation, the first appearance of Christ. Verse 13, he says, there's going to be a second appearance, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous to do good works. We have the first appearance and the second appearance, and within these two appearances, Paul tells us Jesus appeared and there are going to be disciples made. God has called for himself and purified for himself a people. Why should you do discipleship? Because we get to partner with God's plan for making disciples. Making disciples is not primarily a human activity toward a goal that we have set. It's a part of the end goal which God has both purposed and has allowed us to be a part of and will bring to pass. It's guaranteed success to be a disciple maker. But will all believe? No. Will we minister to people who appear to be true disciples only for them to abandon the faith and prove to not be a part of us? Yes. But that's okay. Because God has a plan and is working out that plan, and we are privileged to partner with God in the process of discipleship. What a joy to do so. I hope it's a joy to do so. I've been so convicted about this this past week, thinking about my failure in discipling because of the joy of Christ. My failure in reaching my neighbors because I don't have a joy in Christ that bubbles out of me. Oh, but I should do it. Move past should and start thinking, I get to. That's where we need to be. 
Why make disciples? Because we have to, but because we get to. Praise the Lord for the opportunity to partner with his plan. Question three, how are disciples made? How are disciples made? And by this I mean by what method or means does God bring sinners from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son? I think you probably could have put this outline this morning if I just asked you to do it. Give me four different things God uses. What does God use? He uses the power of the word of God. You're not teaching me anything I don't know, Pastor Dan. That's okay. Let's remind ourselves of the truth. God uses the power of his word. You've read the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but as you read through it, it's very clear while the Acts of the Apostles are happening, while they are doing their job, God is at work. And God's word is powerful. Let me give you a couple verses here that you can look up later. I'll read them for you. Acts 6, verse 7. Acts 6, 7 says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly. Acts 12, 24, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. I love that. The word grew and was multiplied. Chapter 19, verse 20 in Acts. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Why do we focus each and every week on the word of God? Because this is how discipleship happens. It's not personality. It's not charisma. It is the power of the word of God prevailed upon our lives. Amen? That is why we focus on the word of God. But it goes on. Power of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. The power of the Spirit of God. Remind yourselves of these basic truths. I love 1 Thessalonians 1.5. 1 Thessalonians is a great book to see the process of discipleship with the Apostle Paul and the Thessalonian believers. He says, says this in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You neither are discipled, nor do you disciple in the power of self. There is no true discipleship apart from the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God. So what does that mean for our lives every day? It is so simple, but it is so precious and necessary. Every day we must bow in utter and complete dependence upon the power of God and the power of his spirit to make me Christ-like and others Christ-like. But do we begin every day with that simple confession? Father, today it is the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Change me. Prayerful dependence upon the power of the word of God and the spirit of God. This is necessary in discipleship. Letter C is a duh. We've already talked about this. By the people of God. It is the acts of the apostles. Us. How does discipleship happen? It happens through us. I was, I was studying 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 17 this week. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 17. I'd encourage you to look it up. It's a well-known passage where Paul says, you know, I, I sowed, others watered, but it is God who gives the increase. And he goes on to explain, you should neither undervalue yourself too much, nor should you overvalue yourself. You're not that important, but you're also not unimportant. God has laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, and it is our calling to build on that foundation. 
We are who God uses for discipleship. He is holding us, his tools, in his hand, and the results are in his care. By the people of God, but then lastly, by letter D, by the perpetual growth in knowledge of God. By perpetual growth in the knowledge of God. Perpetually throughout life. If you are a disciple, you're still here this morning. Discipleship is made through one giant momentous step of faith into Christ, and it's shaped and it's honed through a lifetime of perpetual small steps in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Think of the godliest person that you know, apart from King Jesus. Someone that you would aspire to be like, discipleship-wise. They still have a long way to go in their discipleship. I'm reminded of Philippians 3, where Paul says, that I may know him. And then in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the Apostle Paul saying this. Now, not to discount the example of a godly leader, but have you ever read verses like we looked at a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter, be ye holy because I am holy, and your shoulders just kind of shrug. Really? That's what I'm supposed to be like? I'm not there yet. Have you ever read verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31? Do all to the glory of God and said, are you serious? How am I supposed to attain that? People who are Christ-like are precious examples of what it looks like to be godly. Do you know what the next verse is after 1 Corinthians 10, 31? And I don't mean 1 Corinthians 11, 1. I mean, do you know what the words are? What does Paul say? The ideal is that we glorify Christ in everything we do. Imitate me while I also imitate Christ. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Praise God for those whose faith is stronger than ours and whose maturity is greater than ours, whose pattern and example we can imitate. I hope you have those people in your lives that show you what it's like to be godly. So how do we make disciples? The answer is quite unremarkable. It's what you already know. The power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God. Us doing what we're supposed to do perpetually throughout our lifetimes. We're at number four. Who makes disciples? You know the answer? Tell me. Everyone. Everyone makes disciples. Disciples make disciples. Disciple-making is the call of Christ's disciples. It's not for the elites. It's for every Christian. And I want to look at yet another passage of Scripture that really just makes this truth come alive. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians 4. While I was studying, I I almost centered our entire time this morning in this tremendous passage. But I want us just to note the fact that Paul identifies we all have specific roles to play toward the goal of being Christ-like. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he, God, or Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service or for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. Look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up up of itself in love. If you are a disciple, you have a role to play towards the building up of the body in love and maturity of the head of the body, Jesus Christ. Every person has a role to play. To the children who are in the auditorium this morning, do not discount your role to play. You do not become a disciple of Christ at a certain age. You become a disciple of Christ when you call on him for faith and salvation. And if you have younger siblings, disciple them. Be Christ-like to them. Be a disciple-maker to your classmates at school. You have an important role to play to making us all look like King Jesus. Do not discount your role. All of us have a role to play. Fifthly, what does the process of discipleship look like? What does the process of discipleship look like? Well, a lot of what we already said, (laughs) but let me give you some more thoughts. What's happening right now is discipleship. Public proclamation of the word. Formal proclamation of the word. The one to the 500. This is discipleship. This is what it looks like. It looks like church. It looks like ABF. It looks like group Bible studies. It looks like corporate gatherings. Tonight, the time of singing and reading the scripture and encouragement with ice cream, it's discipleship. We schedule the time for it formally. Going to a conference, going to a class, taking a seminary class, public and formal discipleship. But it's more than that. There's also private and informal ministry of the word. That coffee that you drank with your friend and you sat across from the table from them and you gave them encouragement in the word, that's discipleship. The mealtime with friends and family the dozens and dozens of opportunities that we get to do as parents in discipling. The conversations in the foyer after I get done talking. The ride home. There's private and informal 
proclamation of the word. We see so many examples of what discipleship looks like in the scriptures. Let me give you a few scripture references for you to examine in your own time. Titus 2.4. Paul says discipleship looks like older women training younger women. Titus 2.4. 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul says discipleship looks like pastors training other pastors who will train other pastors who will train other pastors. It's the church's responsibility, not just the seminaries. Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says fathers are to train their children. Hebrews 3, 13 and 10, 24 and 25, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up in love and in good works. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 and 5, 11 through 14, we're to encourage, edify, and yes, even at times, admonish one another. That is what discipleship looks like. 1 Peter 4.10 says that using your individual gifts to serve others is discipleship. In Acts 18 verses 24 through 26, Priscilla Aquila seemingly on the spur of the moment explained the way of God more correctly to Apollos. Here's the point. It does not have to be formal. It does not have to be complicated. In your conversations with people, show them your love for Christ and bring them to the Word of God and ask them the question while asking yourself the question, what does King Jesus want to do? Bring people back to that. And if the Bible doesn't give a particular answer for that circumstance, pray with them. Encourage them. Give them biblical wisdom. Just be self-aware and use what God has gifted you with. You know, you may not believe it, but every one of us gravitates towards some form of speech-based encouragement. Not everybody can get up and give a sermon in front of 500 people. But some of you, I can't do this, some of you can write a very encouraging letter to someone. You ever received an encouraging letter and the Lord used it? Some of you can really encourage in song or in music. Some of you can sit and listen for hours with one who is hurting and offer them life-giving words of comfort. Some of you can lead a Bible study. It's almost like God has given us a diversity of gifts because there's a diversity of situations in which to use those gifts. Don't complicate it. Be ready and don't complicate it. It all leads to the same end of obeying and looking like King Jesus. Who disciples? Everyone. What does discipleship look like? Everyone discipling everyone, formally and informally. And then lastly, questions six and seven. And again, you know the answer to this. Where and when do we make disciples? What's the answer? Where and when? Everywhere and always. Everywhere and always. Jesus told his disciples, the original 11, Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples. And Acts 1.80 told his disciples, go into all the world, but also start here in Jerusalem. Work here. Fourth Baptist Church, make disciples in Plymouth. Make disciples in Golden Valley, in Crystal, in New Hope, in Maple Grove. Medina and any other suburb which I didn't mention. Make disciples everywhere. 
Don't just give money to make disciples across the, con- the oceans to other continents. You make disciples here. Teach them the word of God. The pattern has been established. I, was, I noticed something interesting while I was studying, doing a word study on mathetes, the word disciple, in the New Testament. The last place we see the noun disciple in the Bible is Acts 21. After that, it disappears. And it's almost like the pattern has been set, the examples have been shown, and you're just supposed to be a Christian. And you're supposed to live like a Christian. And you're to take in the Word of God and give the Word of God and share what God has been showing you. Where and when do we make disciples? Everywhere and always. Two thoughts in closing. Been thinking about this this week. Um, I'm guessing some of us this morning are more comfortable with the idea of actually making disciples and being discipled as a verb than we are actually being a disciple. It is actually sometimes easier for a disciple maker to stand up at the top of the steps and just give instruction to the people below and it's harder for them to actually come down and be the disciple and live the example in front of them day after day, moment after moment. Jonathan Dodson in his book, which I recommend, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, says that at one point in his pastoral journey, quote, disciple became more of a verb than a noun, more of an activity and less of an identity. Is that you this morning? This is more of an activity. This is more of just a process. You'll take from it what you can get, but you're not actually looking like a disciple. You're here this morning, and away from this place, you are not a disciple. But you're taking in data transmission. You're fooling people. You're playing the game. It's harder to be a disciple than it is to make disciples what I'm learning as a pastor. We're all buzzing around doing all of these different programs, all of these different activities, all of these different conversations, and we're more secure receiving data than we are actually giving it and encouraging people. We're more secure playing the game than we are actually identifying as a teammate. It's easier said than done. And then lastly, I want to give you a quote which has challenged me this week. It's on the bottom of your outline there by Howard Hendricks. He says this, Every disciple needs three types of relationship in his life. He needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come alongside and encourage him. And he needs a Timothy, someone that he can pour his life into. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have a Paul? If you don't, why not? Are you too proud to have a Paul? Are you too insecure and really actually too proud to be a Paul? 
Do you have a Barnabas in your life? Someone who you allow to break through the barrier of your seeming Christian perfection and actually encourage you with what you need to hear. Why don't you have a Barnabas? Are you too proud? Do you have a Timothy? Are you pouring your life into someone? Why not, if that's not the case? How incredible would it be if at the end of this service we had lines and lines of people ready to come up and give testimony to the Pauls in their life, the Barnabases in their life, the Timothys in their life, humbly expressing the joy of discipling a Timothy. Father, thank you for the challenge of discipleship. If we're honest, Lord, we we will admit that it is sometimes easier to just be a disciple maker or to be discipled and receive instruction than it actually is to identify as your disciple and be honest and to embrace the messiness of life that is disciple making to embrace the confession of sin, which is discipleship. Lord, don't let us play the game. May we be genuine disciples who follow hard after Christ and call others to do the same. May we model humility, confession of sin. May we model true, genuine Christian leadership May we be able to boldly say to the praise of your glory, follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, don't let us give in to false humility, which is actually pride saying, I can't help anybody. Make us strong disciples. And Lord, I pray that you would increase the burden of responsibility on our hearts to make disciples. Every true disciple is a disciple maker. Would you please impact that truth upon our hearts this week and show us where we are lacking? And would you change us to the honor and glory of your name, Father? Lord, I pray for those this morning that are playing the game, that even now as we sing in a moment, that they would hear the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and find your rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.